What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com. Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. the gospel heard around the world this is apologia radio another week another show and an awesome awesome show we have planned for you guys today it is going to be exciting we're going to talk about of course some cultural issues we're going to have some impressions we're going to have of course our npr not public radio statement we're going to tell you what's up in the world and we're going to talk about Atheism. We're going to play some clips from uh, Lawrence Krauss, maybe some Richard Dawkins. We're going to talk about uh, atheism in society, atheism and morality, and it's going to be great. We are so excited you guys join with us today. Thank you guys for downloading the podcast, being with us. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I did what? it. What? What? What just happened? What happened was a little bit of 80s got mixed with some chilled nice. and some reggae. Dude, I, this this song will be great, Luke. One thousand five hundred years from now, it will, it will be on an oldie station, and we're like, well, that gets to stay. It's true. <laughs> that post mill though. You were gonna say? You were saying? I was gonna say I found uh, I found a mix. I was gonna say to you, while I was talking last night, you're gonna love. It's like totally like '80s electronica. It's like an hour and a half of '80s electronica music. You're gonna uh, love it. It's amazing. I love it. Okay, I'll play it today. I'll that's, play it. That's Luke the Bear to my right. What up? And oh, of course, I have to my left today, Nostril Damas. Yep, my. My mouth will be blaring and my nostrils will be flaring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got uh, Steady Randy from NPR. Yes, in the studio. That's right. And we got on the ones and twos, the king, 
Ginger. Welcome back, King Ginger. I never left. I know. I never leave. To another show. I'm always here. Yes, you are. You live here. All right, guys. Great stuff. Great, great stuff. If you missed last week's episode, uh, we told you about all that happened in uh, Tennessee, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, 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 Oklahoma. Remember that from uh, Steve? That was Steve Martin in uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Did I say Oklahoma? I think I'm too young for that. Ken- Kentucky, <laughs> uh, Ken- Kentucky, and Tennessee. We went to the Ark Encounter. We went to the Creation Museum, the design studio for the Ark Encounter, and we ended up in Tennessee at the NRB conference. We got some great content for you guys. Tennessee, Tennessee. We got. Um, we got good stuff, good stuff from the Ark Encounter. We're going to have an Apologia special TV episode that will be on the NRB Network and will also be released on YouTube. You ever want to get to see that? You will yeah. get to see exclusive content from inside the Ark. I cannot wait. Yes, and the Mark po- the Mark Pody interview will be on Thursday night. And the Mark Pody interview right now, though, the entire thing is up for freezies for everybody, accessible by everybody. Right there on YouTube, Apologia Studios on YouTube. If you haven't seen the Mark Pody interview, uh, you might say, I don't know who he is. Doesn't matter. You need to get to know him. And if you I, just, I just got to know him. I watched the video last night. And let me just say this. I was blessed. I was impressed. Oh, I rhymed there. And my goodness, I would be of the uh, assumption that he may know a little bit more of the Bible than two Corinthians. Yeah, a little bit more <laughs> than two Corinthians. Uh, if you haven't seen it, guys, go to Apologia Studios on YouTube and watch the Mark Pody interview. Um, it's one of the last videos that we uploaded. Just check our channel, check the archive, and watch it. It's about 30 minutes, but it's worth every minute of your time. It will bless your life to see a man who loves Jesus, who's being so consistent in the office that he is in, standing for the gospel, standing for biblical truth, and standing for the law of Tennessee, actually. Uh, it'll bless you big time. It's about the gay marriage um, opinion uh, by SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. And uh, it's about what Mark Pody is doing to bring light and salt uh, to the state of Tennessee. It will bless your life. Um, lots of really, really great stuff happening. Um, I can't wait for you guys to see the Ark Encounter in the Creation Museum. It is really, really great. I've already seen some of the stuff that Marcus is working on right now. Just stay tuned for it. Apologia Studios on YouTube, and it's going to be great. Great! 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 Um, Don't forget, just want to mention it before we get into the show today, all the new stuff. If you go to ApologiaRadio.com, all the past episodes are there for your entertainment. They're also there for your edification, for your being built up. There are about 160 episodes there. If you haven't listened to them yet, go and check them out. It's a feast of really, really great stuff with some really, really great guests. And we don't want you guys to miss it. Uh, there, there's so much there. And there's just hours and hours and hours of content that will really encourage you and bless you and equip you. If you haven't done so, go over and do it. Take a look. But don't forget, also sign up for our All Access when you do that. You support this ministry. You're a part of the work that we're doing, um, like going to get the interview with Mark Pody and the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. It's all because of our partners. Everybody that's part of this ministry yep. with us, $7.95 donation a month, and you get all the TV shows, and you get the after shows, and you get the Apology Academy, the one that I did with Dr. James White. And John Sampson. And our new one with John Sampson. Which is awesome. Yes. Mar- Marcus. Yeah. Marcus yeah. is tripping out the internet. Yeah, I was like, what am I listening to? Yeah, he came in tripping yeah. out. And yeah. he was like, and I'm not even Baptist. 
that's why it's an academy on soteriology and not reformed theology. Oh, uh, now, that, now that's gonna no, we're gonna I, we're gonna get yeah. a Baptist to do a covenant. A covenant theology from and a Baptist per- perspective and make him film it. Yep. So he's just <laughs> <laughs> grinding his teeth the whole time. How dare you? <laughs> um, all right, guys. So uh, let's get into it. Um, hey, uh, Jerry, you want to do some impressions, man? Like, what kind of impressions can you do? Well, I, I just might know a thing or two about some impressions. I think that's probably my favorite impression you do, Christopher Walken. <laughs> give me give me some Christopher Walken, give me, man. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me Walken. Give me, give me, give me, give me the Walken. So, have you guys been watching this election? The whole world has gone, at least the United States and Republican Party has gone crazy. <laughs> the devil you know versus the the devil you don't know. <laughs> so many de- less, lesser two evils. It's it's getting exhausting. <laughs> One of my favorites is uh, is when you do George uh, W. Bush. Well, the Bush Bush I love, uh-huh. but one of my very very favorites is when you do. Um, Batman and I my favorite was where we did the Melissa Harris Perry bit and you were Batman talking to her about uh, socialism and her uh, this the government owning the kids and, and I the, said we must save the children from MSNBC we must fight we <laughs> save Gotham from statism <laughs> evil whoa that's my, my favorite guy. This is Bernie Sanders. Hey, you're Batman. I'm a big fan. Batman. Ooh, Batman. Whoa. Who, who are you? Uh, old man. <laughs> White hair. Why is your hair so messy? Well, I, I, I appreciate you spending the time with me. I'm right now running for candidacy for the president of the United Why States. Why are you running for president? Why? Why? I, I believe that, well, like you, Batman, I believe that the, the downtrodden, the, I, I mean, the people that are on the bottom need to be lifted up uh, by the communities. and, and my, they, parents, my parents are downtrodden in a back alley and now as a child. I was angry and that's why I became Batman. Well, that's the thing, is I'm actually... I for justice. Do you believe in justice? I believe in social justice. We're speaking the same language. Uh, you, you, you and I, were the same people, because social justice is my thing. Uh, I, I, Christian Bale, it's a good name, Christian, and that's kind of what I'm running on, is Christian principles. My justice as, is not as Jesus was a socialist, hashtag socialism. That's what I believe in. Batman, you and I are the same, the same person. What? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm confused. Well, Who are you? Well, it's it's. Uh, I'll explain. There's this guy this in is... Gotham. You're from Gotham, correct? There's a guy in Gotham, Bruce Wayne. He represents. He's the epitome of what's wrong in Gotham in America. I've heard he of he him. represents the one percent. And in what he is, is he's stealing from all the people on the bottom. He's stepping on their precious little baby heads. <laughs> no, my my father. Wait, his father. <laughs> He saved Gotham. He was attacked by Ra's al Ghul. Economic attacks. Bruce, Bruce Ra's Wayne. Ra's al Ghul is a socialist. Bruce Wayne. And Bruce Wayne's father built a track around Gotham and united the city. 
and save the economy. This is not actually true. What you are You're displaying your part of the 1% problem that we've dealt with in this nation for so long is that you and people like Bruce Wayne are the one percenters that are destroying the economy and the people I think people should have in Gotham. Free health care, free chocolate milk, free lollipops, free uh, uh, education, free houses, free cars, and you're part of the problem and so is Bruce Wayne. Well, excuse me, I'd like to interject in this conversation. Hi, I'm part of the Occupy Wall Street and Gotham. <laughs> Occupy. <laughs> this I, guy over here is Bane. I'm a, I'm a big fan of you, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> You're Karl Marx's destiny. <laughs> so so Bane, Bane is a fan <laughs> of, of uh, Sanders' socialism. You're an excellent addition to the League of Shadows. <laughs> <laughs> We should seriously hang out sometime. <laughs> it's a lot. Bane wants to hang out with Sanders. <laughs> All right. I will fight you to the bitter end. Justice will be served. <laughs> Batman's for the... Uh, obviously, Batman is for capitalism. Uh, obviously. That's a good fight. That's a good fight. Yeah, just so you know, a lot of those were uh, references slash Easter eggs to Batman Begins. For those of you who watched it, or those of you who haven't, Thank you for bearing with that. Spoiler alert. Hey, um... The movie, ca- movie came out a decade ago, so if you <laughs> haven't did. seen it, that's your problem. <laughs> that's your problem. Uh, well, anything you want to talk about before I jump yeah. into today? Yeah. I was just going to say, speaking of impersonations, can we talk about Hispanic Jesus impersonating Jesus and Risen? Oh, no. yeah. Oh, that was awful. No, we cannot no, talk okay, about Okay, quick, quick blur Risen. about the movie Risen. We were we were in... Uh, were we in Kentucky when we saw there or Tennessee? Uh, Tennessee... Tennessee? No, actually, we were in Kentucky. We were in Kentucky. Okay, so we went and saw like late night showing after like long days. I mean, we were like going from from morning to night, and we actually had a moment to take a breath, and we went and saw the movie Risen. We went and saw Risen. Hold on. Yes, wait, wait. I got the. You got to do it. You got to make sure it's the, turned uh, up so everyone can hear. This is the uh, the apostles. Sadud. Sadud. This was the apostles in the movie. Sadud. <laughs> I have not even. What is this? Those are the guy. It's like a famous, uh, like vine that goes around of these dudes, and they're like, "Saw dude, saw dude, saw dude," and like their eyes are half closed. They're like, "Saw dude," they're like bros, like "Saw dude." Well, in in the movie Risen, uh, if you if you haven't seen it. Uh, I'm not worried about spoiling this part. It started off really, really... It did start off. Like, this could be good. Yeah. Like, it, it started off, it had a good vibe. It was like, this could be really, really good. And then, about midway through, it's like the director and the writers just decided, like, they, they got half the movie written. It's like Jesus talking about, like, don't go to build something without figuring out if you have enough, like, to finish it and complete it. Otherwise, people will afterwards laugh at you and mock you. Well, that's what I was doing in the middle of Risen. About halfway through, you realize, I don't think they really had an ending to this movie. And so yeah, they decided they just to a lot of stuff. completely drop off and turn into the most cheesy, hippie Jesus movie ever like when when he comes into the room and jesus is there first of all it's 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 an obviously hispanic <laughs> jesus which i don't it's have a dad, problem it's the dad from fear of the walking dead yeah it's the dad from fear of the walking dead and which i don't have a problem i don't care what color jesus was i don't care if, i mean I, I he was really really dark uh really really dark probably but i don't care what color it was but it was just kind of jarring because it was just weird yeah. how it looked and the whole scene and he was kind of hippie-ish and they're like 
they're they're like the they're like the hippie saw dude like the the the, the, the soldier walks in they're like saw dude saw dude saw dude the whole movie like when they get to the christians and jesus they're like i think they're all they're all on marijuana yeah, yeah I, 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 I felt like there should have been like a bong in the middle of them <laughs> yeah. when he walked in the room. And, and like there's so much, there's a, this major emphasis on um, on uh, Peter and Peter has like the sun behind his head at one point, yeah. like a halo when he's talking to Jesus. I saw it coming. You called it. Marcus he was walking, called it. He was walking towards the center of the frame and I was like, oh no. He's Marcus is sitting next to me going, oh no. I didn't even know what he was talking he about. right in the middle of the sun. I, I, and like, it's just this halo on his head. Marcus did do that. He's sitting next to me. Jesus is talking to Peter. And all of a sudden, Marcus is going, oh no. Oh no. Oh no. And I'm like, what? What? And then all of a sudden, Peter turns and faces the frame. And there's a big glowing sun behind his head. And it's like a halo. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Wow. There's definitely a lot of Catholicism. What yeah. Are, I just, hidden gems. What is it with Christian films and fil- filmers and, and, and directors and filmmaking where it seems that no matter what the storyline is, they somehow have to, they have to just sort of really force feed you know, Jesus or or the gospel or their version of the gospel, just in a very like, way that always unnatural. Is, is, is unnatural and awkward like it's, Marcus tell me, tell me you're, you're the filmmaker I have no idea why they've like, been what? doing that for 20, 30, 40 years. It, it, I, I've been trying to get them to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If I had the answer, I would try to get them to stop. I think they. <laughs> I think that they're under the impression that they must force these kind of um, this kind of content into a movie or a scene to make the Christians happy or make Christians buy movie tickets. And in doing it, though, they're so unnatural. Now, obviously, a movie, though, about Jesus and him being resurrected and this Roman soldier who ends up following Jesus, of course, you're going to have the whole Christian story in there. At least you you should. But it's the portrayal of Christians and the Christian worldview in it that is so far off. It's so cheesy. And like like I said, it's like hippie Jesus. And And Bartholomew. Yeah, and Bartholomew. (laughs) They're all super cheesy. And it's just really, I mean, the movie, I want to say kudos to the film, the first half. It looked like it could really go somewhere. And my own opinion, some of you guys might have a different opinion. You might like the movie. My own opinion is like it it took a turn and fell completely down where it could have just been a really great movie. It would have stuck with the first half. It would have been good. It just felt like they were, they felt like, okay, Christians are going to watch this. So we have to do these things. Like and we have to we have to make them super like we have to put a bong in the room we have to make them super happy and floating and you know and and it just it just felt so unnatural and, and weird and so that was that was risen and yeah saw dude yeah what's up dude what's up dude speaking dude. of Jesus Jesus told me I have a nice beard at the NRB conference he did yeah he did so there's that we went yeah. to the NRB conference. There are, there are filmmakers, television shows, radio production companies, everywhere. This thing is massive, thousands of people. And what do you think TBN had at their booth? What do you think they had? A giant golden throne? Well, Not anymore. No. Not this year. Now they have a giant golden bus. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> no, but they have, what? they had a Jesus at their booth, a man dressed like Jesus walking around all day waving at everybody. At we saw him at the buffet. <laughs> I was like, what's up? What's up, dude? What's up, dude? You get some of this chicken? What's up, dude? Um, and, and by the way, uh, Jesus is not a vegetarian, Marcus. I, I saw it with my own eyes. Oh. 
<laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> he, so he, was, he, had he, was, some, yeah. he had some of the fish and chicken. Oh, he did. Okay. <laughs> we should have <laughs> walked up to him and the buffet and been like, man, these mashed potatoes are divine. <laughs> and he goes, I know. <laughs> man, um, you, you, would think, you would think uh, if the real Jesus was there, he would have made that buffet better. I, some of my say, some that's a good wine. I, I, tell you that. I think your wife asked, how do you feel about that? I'm offended by it. Was, it was pretty offensive. <laughs> I, I, how do I feel about a guy dressing like Jesus walking around the way he did? I'm offended by it. But and he I, did compliment my beard. So. He did like Luke's beard, and so we'll, we'll, we'll give him a <laughs> Do they have the, the Praise the Lord music in the background? Uh, Praise the Lord they, with no, the no. voice. But, but I will say that TBN's booth was the most kind of like yeah. exotic. and yeah. Interesting that you say that, Jerry, because they actually, we, we got a tour of their bus thing. And they told us they're trying to change their image, make it more relevant. So they're like kind of scrapping that old school gold gold throne leopard print. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. Of I was really looking at giant, giant pink hair mascara. I was really excited it's about... more like hip and relevant and yeah. not cheesy. Yeah, I was really excited about seeing the leopard skin chairs and the purple carpet. Yes. Okay, let's but, get into the show, guys. Here we go. Um... Something I want to alert you all to before we get into the theological discussions, uh, important stuff here. I want you guys to hear it. Uh, the Mark Pody thing is super encouraging. I can't stress enough how much I just want to ask you and, and, and want you to see that Mark Pody interview and everything happening in Tennessee right now. A Christian acting consistently with scripture who's standing in a political office and he's trying to be salt and light. I want to encourage you. Stuff is happening in Tennessee right now. In the midst of all of this crazy stuff happening in our nation, um, when all the wicked rulers and people running for political office, you've got a lot of hope right there in Tennessee with uh, instances like that with Mark Pody. There's another thing I want to alert you to because it's very big. Everybody knows how concerned yes. we are for babies and for the issue of murder in our nation. Um, 60 million babies murdered since Roe v. Wade in our nation. This is a vitally important issue. We need to stop the killing of babies today. And there is something awesome happening in, in Oklahoma right now. I want to point you to a website. It's abolishabortionokoklahoma.com. Abolishabortionok.com. I want to send you there. Please go. Please go. Because I want you to go there and sign up on the petition. They promise on this petition that they're not going to use your information for petitioning or uh, for anything else other than uh, this this petition itself. It says they will not share your email with anybody else. Um, I actually, I know some of these people. I believe that's absolutely true. But you need to put your name on the petition because what's going on right now in Oklahoma is awesome. They're actually trying to pass something in Oklahoma right now that calls abortion murder and ends it. Mm-hmm. Ends it because it's murder. Right. And that is the kind of thing that needs to be taking place from the Christian church right now. We, 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 everybody knows we go to the abortion mills, we preach the gospel, we're trying to end it where it's taking place by saving babies' lives. Over 50 babies saved just from Apologia Church's mission in the last three years or two years or so. Uh, so it's very important to be at those clinics. However, this stuff is equally important. Going and trying to stop it um, as a matter of law in our nation um, it's so important. And so what's happening right now in Oklahoma is encouraging. Um, and so I want to encourage you to go sign the petition to um, end abortion, uh, call it murder, and protect the lives of these babies. I want to encourage you guys, please go do that. It's important stuff. And um, I, I, can't, I can't tell you that I agree with uh, everything 
uh, with the organization that is that is that is pushing this forward. But that's okay. This stuff is important. It's very, very, very important. So I encourage you guys to participate in that. Um, I'm I'm blessed to hear that it's happening. Yeah. So um, let's before we before we go into the next segment and before we get into NPR and before before we start dissecting some atheist comments, uh, I want to talk to you about consistency. What one of my favorite people in the world and somebody that has had um, dramatic impact in my thinking, probably the one of the people that's had the greatest impact in my thinking as a Christian is my friend Dr. James White. Yeah. Um, and one of the things he said for many many years is you must be consistent. Inconsistency is a sign of a failed argument. Christians should desire to be consistent. And um, I want to point you to something that does relate very very closely to the discussions that are happening right now in the political process. I can say this, the really encouraging thing right now is to see Christians, leaders, um, and just Christians generally actually starting to ask deeper questions now regarding Mm. the political process and government. Because when you see men like Donald Trump running for president, uh, women like Hillary Clinton running for president, and Bernie Sanders running for president, and on and on and on, um, we start saying, wait a tick. (laughs) Um, something's not right here and we need to have a consistent answer and so those that were saying before you know government is really a realm we're not to be concerned with we just got to preach the gospel da 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 are now all of a sudden now opening their mouths and they're saying something but I want to point you to a discussion that I had uh, with my friend and my hero of the faith uh, Dr. James White in December because it's really really cool to have this discussion Uh, we're talking about presuppositional apologetics here okay so if you have um, bit down uh, in listening to this process, uh, to this uh, program uh, on the issue of apologetics and saying, no, 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 Jesus has to be Lord over your thinking. Jesus is Lord over science. Jesus is Lord over epistemology. Jesus is Lord over laws of logic. Jesus is Lord over ethics. I get that. If you've bit down on that now and you said, no, apologetics has to first start with God. You need to start with God and all of your thinking first. He's the reference point. If you bit down on that uh, and you agree with the discussion that James White and I had on apologetics, here, then I want to talk to you. Is that, and, and this is a good to start, I think, laying down as we discuss this, is that presuppositional apologetics is not, um, well, you know God exists, nanny nanny boo boo. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. That's an, that's an aspect of what we say to the world, is that God is so clearly known by everybody that, it's, that you're without excuse, and you know the God that we're talking about, and there's a suppression going on. But that's not the apologetic. That's not the sum of it. That's an aspect of it. And so what we're saying ultimately is we have to think consistently as Christians in terms of what Jesus says about himself. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us the famous uh, scene that we sing about in church as little kids. Although I, I wasn't in church as a little kid. I, I heard about this. Um, uh <laughs> You know, Jesus says. I'll let you know if this is true. Okay, he says there are two people with two foundations and two destinations. Mm -hmm. There's a wise one, a foolish one, and he says there's a rock and there's ultimately sand. Yeah, so I'm right about that. Yeah, and he says, (laughs) he says that one ends in desolation and one makes it through the storm. Mm -hmm. When the issues of life come, and they will come, the one that's built on the rock makes it through the storm. Okay. Now it's interesting to note that when Jesus says this. The immediate response of those who heard him was, he speaks as one having authority. And they caught it. He didn't ask for any corroboration. 
He didn't ask for anybody to sign his papers to give him a stamp of approval. Didn't call any he, rabbis. From that's right. He didn't actually appeal to any rabbis or anybody above him or say, oh, you know, it's because of this over here. He just said, this is the way of life. There's foolish people. There's wise. There's foundation over here and over here. There's one that's going to make it through. And the one that builds their life upon his word is the one that makes it through. Right. And and that is what Van Til said, where the whole issue of epistemology and apologetic rests. It's there. This is where it begins. Well, Jesus. that was well, no, no. Come on, Jeff. How in the world are you ever supposed to get the get into the academy and make an impact in the academy when you're making such wild claims as if Jesus is like the creator of everything, and that? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. I, I mean, come on. I mean, how are we ever supposed to really get anywhere? I mean, it sounds radically Christian, Christ-centered here. Yeah. Sounds very Christian, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it does. Makes but, it really... Uh, and, and that's just the thing I think we struggle with as Christians is we want to be liked by the world. And, you know, I think we need to, we need to note very carefully Jesus when he says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. If that's what we're pursuing in life, if that's what we want is the approval of men, then we're going about it backwards. It's a moral issue. And in the end, we're philosophically inconsistent. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians when he's dealing with an issue of a false gospel... He says, am I still trying to please men or God? If I was pr- trying to please men, I would not be the slave of Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves the question, do we want to be slaves of men or of Christ? And, and do we want to be slaves of Christ in all aspects yes. of life, yes. not just in, quote unquote, religious yeah, aspects? Yeah, that's right. And, and this- wow. Yeah. Did he say all aspects? Yeah. So I want you guys to listen to that because... What we grant as Christians many times is that, mm. is we say it, yes. And one of the things that's so grand about Dr. White and uh, Greg Bonson and these heroes of the faith is their rigorous commitment to the scriptures in terms of apologetics. And I think that's captured the minds of so many Christians as of late. And so many Christians say, yeah, that's it. Like, yes, Jesus is Lord, even of our thinking over all things, every aspect of our lives. Now, I want you, I want you to recognize something. Do you, or ask yourself this question. Let me put it this way. Ask yourself this question. Do you agree with that? Do, do you agree with what was just said? Yes. Okay. And I want everyone who's listening right now, do you agree with what was just said? Do you want your mind to go down that path? Okay. Now, if you grant that, if you grant it and say yes in apologetics, praise God. I go, great. Does that count for education? And then that's one of the things that first happens. If people become presuppositional and they're apologetic, the first thing you notice is they start homeschooling their kids. Yeah. They go, right. oh, I need to homeschool my kids. Why? Because Jesus is Lord over their thinking. And there is no neutral ground, not in science, not in literature, not in math. You can't do math in, in a meaningful and intelligible way without Jesus Christ in the biblical worldview. You can't do science in any meaningful and intelligible way without Jesus Christ in the biblical worldview. And so Christians start going, education, I got to educate my kids this way. Because why? There's no neutrality. Not in any space in this world. There's no nook and cranny that Jesus doesn't say, that's mine. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it starts to, it starts, we start to go that direction. Well, then, that's and that, when you get common core math. But then, that's right. <laughs> but watch, watch. All of a sudden now, all of a sudden... I do, a, I do a radio discussion with Steve Camp. 
And there were people who watched that discussion with Steve Camp and I, and they said this. They said, oh, Jeff's just trying to cram theonomy and postmillennialism down Steve Camp's throat. Mm-hmm. Here's a question. Where did I mention theonomy and postmillennialism in the discussion with Steve Camp? I mentioned that there are eschatological differences. I mentioned that my view is this. But what was I mostly going to? The authority of Jesus Christ in all things. You could have said, I mean, if if somebody said, hey, Jeff, I disagree with you a bit on theonomy. However, however, I do believe that the New Testament ethics should be the standard in all areas of life today. And this is how I interpret that. I'd say, hey, praise God. That's that. Praise God. But watch this. Here's what's important. What I was pointing to in that interview is the very same thing I was discussing right here with Dr. James White. Jesus has all authority. He's the reference point. There's no neutrality. All aspects of life. Now, my question to you is this. Does that count for government? Does it count for government? Yes. I want you to think about that. Because if you've granted the argument there, I think that you've granted most of what needs to be thought about in terms of how we look at civil government today as Christians. And, and I think you're also going to see that there are inconsistencies in our thinking and how we grant that Jesus has rule and all authority over every area of life over here in apologetics, but then we, we don't give it to him over here in this mm-hmm. area of government. Like, for example, there was actually a statement made in the discussion that we had had that uh, a political candidate does not have to be consistent with the biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. You know what that is? That's inconsistent. That's inconsistent. Because as a Christian, if we say that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he is the reference point, and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, if we say that, and then we move over here to this realm over here, and we say, but not there, then we're inconsistent. And um, there are so many people, I thankfully, that are speaking out now about uh, the issues that are going on that are facing us right now in this political process. Uh, Marcus, give me an example. Well, I think we had uh, we had, uh, last night. Me and Phil Johnson got into a little kerfuffle. Phil Johnson is like MacArthur's right hand man. Yeah, he's yeah. he's the right hand man. He's the guy that wears the ring. Well, let me let me so, say this. Well, yeah. can I, as as you introduce the discussion, okay. um, Phil Johnson is amazing. Yes, and absolutely. he is a gift to the church. And I want to point you to something. One of my favorite things that Phil Johnson ever did. I was so grateful to God for when I was doing some stuff on the new perspective on Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to some stuff from Carson. I was reading as much as I possibly could. I found some stuff from Phil Johnson on the new perspective on Paul that was glorious. Really? And I got to be honest, I listened to it, what he did. I'd probably say like 12, 13 times. That's how good it was. And so Phil Johnson's a gift. He's an amazing man. But go ahead, Marcus. Yeah, his stuff on uh, postmodernism, postmodern theology actually brought me out of Rob Bell like a while back ago. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I was really really into Rob Bell about the same Luckily, at the same time, I was really embracing Reformed theology. You just really liked his glasses. I like the artsiness. Mm-hmm. What's so what can wrong I say? with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. So, that's, but that Team Pyro stuff was that's amazing. What hooked him. But anyway, so he posted on Facebook uh, essentially saying that he believes that Christians should be involved, should not be, I'm sorry, pastors should not be involved in pot- partisan politics. And uh, he then went on to engage in some partisan politics when he was discussing why Trump should not be president in any way. And he essentially made the case, this is a moral thing, right? This guy is immoral. Is so bad. Yeah. Right. He's so bad. Poly, even if I agreed with every single one of his policies, I couldn't vote for him. And so I, I, I tried to just engage that point where 
there you can't say that just the partisan politics you shouldn't be involved in because even some of the partisan politics over which candidate is best is important and heavily theological right. and, and so I pointed to I pointed him to Mark Pody's interview uh, and I said I don't think Mark Pody would believe that the church or the pastors shouldn't come behind him and support his agenda on homosexual marriage and we actually responded I actually didn't think he was going to respond but he responded and we got in a discussion uh, where essentially ended up with me saying that I misrepresented his position and that he he does believe that there are some areas that are heavily theological and moral, but he he, he made it clear that there are some areas that are not hmm. in politics. And, hmm. and so I want to actually read those issues, Jeff. Go for it. And I want you to tell me how the issues that he says are not moral issues in politics actually are moral issues in politics so he says yeah. so he says marcus yes i can name more than one political issue that is not necessarily a moral issues taxes <laughs> moral it's a huge moral issue why oh well what, because, what commandment well okay well thou shalt not steal okay. now that doesn't say that doesn't say by the way that taxes um you can never take taxes and taxes are always immoral However, taxes are a moral issue because what you do with taxation is a moral issue because thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal does not go away because you have a black robe and a fancy pen. (laughs) Whether or not the person comes over your wall and and breaks your glass and comes in and steals something or they do it with a fancy pen, it, it looks stealing is stealing. And so there is just taxation. There is a godly and righteous taxation that Christians should submit to, absolutely, completely. But there is also immoral taxation, like death tax, Mm. like property taxes, like, for example, income taxes. Now, that might shock people to hear something like that, but did you know that income taxes in the American system are relatively new? Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Did you know that when our nation was founded, we did not have income taxes and did you know that the war for independence was fought over tax issues that were somewhere down in single digit numbers right (laughs) not in we're not talking in like double digits we're talking in single digits and they fought a war for independence they believed that england had broken covenant with god and with them and they had a big problem with taxation that they felt was theft They weren't saying you couldn't do taxes. They were saying there's a level of taxation that is just simply theft. Mm. So, of course, taxation is a moral issue. Okay. So, let's go on to the next one. Okay. Parking restrictions. Parking restrictions has to do with property. Right. Has to do with private property and renting space to people. Of course, that's a moral issue. You're not allowed to come park your car on my lawn without my permission for a, a period of time. You have to ask me. Now, if I say to you, yes, you can park your car on my lawn and you can do it for two hours. And then you leave your car there for 16 days. <laughs> now this becomes a moral issue because your car was was on my property and you rented space from me. And if you break that commitment that you've made, then you're breaking a promise and you're on my property. I have a right to my own property. So if the government owns the space, that's a private property issue. Hey, zoning laws? Zoning laws has everything to do with private property. Right. Private property. Now listen, you might say, really, is it a big deal? Uh, yeah, God says it's a big deal. What's he <laughs> saying is law. He says you're not to move your property marker over into your neighbors. Right. To do what? To extend your property and take away their property. Right. Because why? Thou shalt not steal. steal. That actually happened here. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> right. So 
Uh, antitrust legislation. Anti antitrust laws. Those have to do with those are like competition laws. Whether or not uh, monopolies and stuff. So according to a free market, whether the government can restrict your business and and stuff like that. That that has everything to do with the biblical worldview, free trade, private property, capitalism. I think is a biblical is a biblical system. Uh, and when and you, a moral system. And a moral would, system. Yeah. When, because here's the thing. When the government gets involved in the business itself and tells you how to run it in that respect, the government is telling you that they're taking ownership of your property. And so when the government gets involved in business in that way, the government actually is saying that we own your business. Mm-hmm. Right. For example, when the government tells you how much you're to pay your employees, you, I demand you pay them this amount of money, the government is telling you you're not the owner of your business, we're the owner of your business, so therefore your property is not your property, it's now the government's property. Right. It's a moral issue. And, uh, Jesus, and just to say this real, real briefly, when Jesus gives us the story of those who... Um, uh, who he employs for the day, the ones that come early and the one yeah. that shows up late. What does he say? Is it not my right, right to do with my stuff as I please? I know that's the Jeff Durbin paraphrase there, but that's essentially <laughs> what Jesus says in the story. Don't I have the right to do with my own stuff what I want? Didn't you agree to work for a certain wage? Then why are you complaining? That's, that's, that's the point. That's mm. the moral issue underneath that Jesus uses there. So yes, all these things are moral issues. And I want to say this just very briefly to that. Guys, if they're not moral issues, then they're not issues that need to be thought about in terms of legislation. When you actually codify law, you're doing that because you see something as good or bad. Now, if you say this needs to be put into law, it's because you're saying that there's a righteous standard and there is something that is not good. We want to uphold the righteous standard. We declare this to be the righteous standard. So if if these political issues are not moral issues, then they don't need to be legislated. Exactly. Right. And so an individual who's running for politics, who's running for a government seat, they have moral positions on political issues like abortion and it's inescapable right and so so anyway so i asked phil johnson to actually come on the show and let's engage in this discussion like how much should a pastor be involved in politics that's important you you know especially since especially since most of the conservative reformed camp their involvement in politics is simply reactionary and and uh defensive as opposed to offensive like it's important for us to figure out, okay, how do we become offensive in politics, but not at the same time, uh, not properly render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I want to say I agree with Phil Johnson with all my heart. If what he means is that Christians and pastors should not be engaged in petty partisan political pandering, we have, of course not. But but hold on, should Christian ministers be involved in speaking prophetically into the political process? And I thank God for the New England pulpit during the time of the war for independence that did. I mean, they called people out by name in their sermons. They spoke and specifically applied the biblical worldview into their current context, which is, by the way, why the populace, why why the public was so ready for that fight is they were grounded in the scriptures in terms of God's law and justice. Mm. And by the way, you can thank them the Puritans and their mindset about the law of God and Jesus' authority over all things for your free country today. You're welcome. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so I asked him to come on the show and he declined because I apparently don't understand his position and misrepresented him. And I, I would just like to say to Phil Johnson that 
if your entire ministry is dedicated to correcting people's misunderstandings of scripture, let come on, right? Because we we come on the show. We love you. We we do. We really do. Yeah. And 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 let's have this conversation because we're only having this political conversation within our own Christian ghettos, right? Like so, our camp over here will have the conversation, and then our camp over here will have a conversation. But we never really just hash it out together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to isolate it in most. And the other thing is, I want to be very clear that that I was not misrepresenting his. Uh, position. Uh, I think I left out the word uh, pa- uh, partisan. Partisan. Yeah. When and I was pandering. when I was making the con- conversation. Yeah. I left out the word partisan, and he used that to say that I was uh, misrepresenting his entire position. But I want to say too that he misrepresented our position in his very first statement. He says, "I suppose if one actually believes that the machinery of the American Electoral College." can be commandeered to the advancement of Christ's kingdom, it wouldn't make much sense. But from a more biblical point of view, it makes perfect sense. And I just want to say that nobody believes that within our camp. Yeah, those those of us who are post-mill, um, name the giants in history, Jonathan Edwards, Warfield, Bonson, my favorites today, Kenneth Gentry, Gary DeMar, these kinds of guys... Nobody believes that you bring in the kingdom of Jesus through a political process right. or by force. It's always through the gospel. That's what the Jews thought at the time of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's always through the gospel. And here's the thing. When you address these political issues as a Christian today, it's because it's a concern of the gospel. For example, when I address the issue of abortion today, we talked about Oklahoma. Calling it murder is, is important because it's what God calls it. But it's also important because that's how you get the gospel into the conversation. That's correct. Yeah. Because when you when you tell people this is sin against God, repenting your sin, it's murder, stop killing babies now. It's also so you can say, now you turn to Christ and trust right. in him for salvation and for forgiveness for the free gift of eternal life apart from any work of law. You see, that's the point is all these conversations go right to the gospel. Always about the gospel. It's always about the gospel every, each and every time. Yeah. So I, I still want to extend our offer to have him on the show. Yeah. We and love that, Phil Johnson. Yeah. We can have a healthy, loving, fun, fun discussion with each other as brothers. Yeah. Jerry, and, Jerry's been wanting to say I, something. And, yeah. I've been trying, okay. trying to get in. Uh, where was that? Okay. So <laughs> you were mentioning just a moment ago about um, private property rights yeah. and, and the ability to do with your business as you wish without the government being involved and I think one of the best examples you can see of that so you guys may have heard of the documentary Inside Job which was all about heard about it yeah it's all about the 2008 real estate collapse and that whole the whole real estate collapse basically happened going all the way back to the 70s of the government getting involved with the real estate market trying to make sure that these are these certain people, class of people, just had to get homes. And so they were doing things, and then obviously it led up to 2008 with the economy collapsing, but yeah. there's so much so much corruption and so much fraud, fraud and things yeah. going on. So, I mean, essentially, you see in, the mo- you see in this documentary that, that Wall Street got drunk, but the government made the liquor. And so it just... That's good. Yeah. And, and, and so, you come up with that Jerry, on your that own? Was, that was good. Yeah. Did you make? Did you up? come up with that? I just, I just thought off. I just made it. See, now. that's why you're on wow. the show, man. Huh. Yeah, that's impressive. That is impressive. Wow. All right, time yeah, for a break. Yeah, yeah. and so, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, that's good. If you, if you, it's just a great example. And, and that whole aspect, when you look at that documentary, like it'll make you angry at just the way 
that it affected people and how it wrecked people's lives and businesses. It, it was a moral issue. It was a be- and and look what the result was. Right. How many people lost their homes? Six million. Hmm. Six million people lost their homes. <laughs> So is that a moral issue? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It might have, I was thinking that might have something to do with loving your neighbor. That was the main point I was trying to get across. And with that, we're going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a really long ha- segment. That's what really happens, guys, when we take breaks. It's because we got to go. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what we're going to do. It becomes that's a moral sponsors. issue at some point. <laughs> we'll see you guys in a minute. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beard drift. You know, like dandruff, but beard drift. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you're hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to yukonsbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face hi it's this Baltimore with apologia radio i want to ask for y'all good friends of ours to go on and click that button there and become my friends on the book face Facebook backslash Apology Radio. Become my friend on YouTube. That there uh, twerker. The twerker. I want to talk to you on the twerking. And send me out a twerk. What? Wait, what? Twitter. Apology Radio on Twitter. I also want to tell you we talk about apologetics and theology and we do a lot of swing dancing and we make a delicious chicken gravy. com. Welcome to Apologia NPR, not public radio news, recorded in the ninth week of the year of our Lord, 2016. All right, it's time to run to the battle. First, updates on some foolish things. If you thought my previous comments on Bernie's Journey ice cream was just a spoof, you can check it out at Bernie'sJourney.com. They've added a video about the ice cream. But you eat it is you take your, your spoon, your, spo- your soup spoon, because it's got to be a big, heavy one, and you whack it. And you break it up into a lot of little pieces, and then you let it soften up a bit and mix it all around. I mean, you know, you kind of deliberately take these chunks and push them down. And as you're doing it, remember, you're distributing some money to where it's supposed to go. Here's an opportunity (laughs) to change it, at least in your little pint. (laughs) It is really motivating. I mean, as I think about what I'm actually doing, it makes it a lot more fun to spread the wealth. You know, what is there that quote about how money is like manure? You stack it all up in one place and it stinks. You spread it around and it grows things. All right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. 
So having watched this, I think it's, first of all, good that Ben's kitchen is cleaner than an Occupy camp. I want to want to make that statement. <laughs> wow. And then watching all the effort it takes to actually stir that 1% up, I would say it's going to take a little bit more effort than most Sanders followers will want to expend to eat. <laughs> They're really serious about like using a big spoon and beating it really hard. Huh? Hit it as hard as you can. Yeah. Smash that one percent. Smash it. Down. Smash it and push their faces against the ground. <laughs> All right. Uh, I also discussed the Bernie Bros phenomenon, but there is another Bernie Bro, Larry, the literal brother of Bernie. The problem with the Clintons, according to Bernie's big brother, is that people don't realize what an awful president Bill was. Larry says that's because people are too busy debating, is Bill really such a terrible rapist, or is he a nice rapist? Wow, it's not Larry David, is it? It's not his brother? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Trump (laughs) anticipating attacks dealing with sexism for his normal comments, his adultery, as well as his strip clubs and casinos, has already run a campaign ad against Hillary Clinton showing pictures of Bill, the B-word, Bill Clinton, Bill Cosby, Monica Lewinsky, and Anthony Weiner in an attempt to make her charges of sexism seem hypocritical. Trump has also gotten some notice for tweeting out the phrase, better to be a lion for a day than a sheep for a hundred years. Unfortunately, the source of that saying was fascist dictator Benito Mussolini. (laughs) Oh, wow. Whoopsies. That's bad. NBC's Chuck Todd asked Trump one-on-one about the quote attribution, do you want to be associated with a fascist? No, Trump said. I want to be associated with interesting quotes. <laughs> well, somehow, I don't think that is going to be a problem. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no Our, problem with interesting quotes from Trump. I can't believe he said that. Going farther and higher, Trump has previously said he wants to do something now about that wall between us and Mexico. As you know, I know how to build. I know how to get it done. We'll have a great wall. We'll call it the Great Wall of Trump. We'll have a great wall, and it will be, it'll be actually, it can be a good-looking wall, as walls go, but we will have a really terrific wall, and it will be done for the right price. (laughs) (laughs) The great wall of Trump. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. By Mexico. He doesn't feel he will have to consider the cost as he wants Mexico to pay for it. However, in the finest of political traditions, former Mexican President Vicente Fox took Donald Trump to the threshing floor. I'm not going to pay for that uh, bleeping wall. He should pay for it. He's got the money, Fox said. (gasps) Are you afraid that he's going to be the next president of the United States? He was asked, what would that mean for Mexico? No, no, no. Democracy cannot take that. Crazy people that don't know what is going on in the world today. This worries me. The last caucus in Nevada, he won 44% of Hispanics. I'd like to know who those Hispanics are because they are followers of a false prophet, Fox said. He's going to take them to the desert. Wow. Wow. Well, analogies always do break down somewhere, but this one was like mixing fire and ice. First of all, people are already going into the desert. The wall is an attempt to prevent them from going into the desert. (laughs) Then, if Moses is really meant in the comparison, he was not a false prophet. So, to help ex-Presidente Fox, I've made this handy comparison to perhaps eliminate some confusion. Uh, Moses killed a man and disappeared the body out of fear of being caught. Trump claimed, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose voters. (laughs) Moses destroyed the golden calf. Trump probably owns a golden calf. 
<laughs> oh, man. Moses parted the Red Sea in the middle. Trump parts his orange hair on the side. <laughs> it's actually the left side, by the way. Baby Moses was preserved by Miriam from drowning in the Nile. Trump has persevered from drowning in his own bile. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Good. All right. Good one. Moses spent some time listening to God speaking to him from a burning bush. Trump spent time bashing Jeb Bush. <laughs> Moses said, let my people go. Trump says, let my peep shows grow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and finally... I love you, Randy. I love you, Randy. <laughs> finally, Moses changed the river into blood. Trump is obsessed with Megyn Kelly's. Wow. Yeah, I was just yeah. watching something on that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. All, All right. right, Randy, you're the best. All right, and now for something completely different. You probably know it's easy to buy followers on Twitter. $100 can connect you with 10,000 of your closest friends. But if you want something more mm, creeper, what about this? The feeling of eyes on your back. A glimpse of somebody ducking behind a corner. The snick of a camera as it sneaks your picture. These unsettling experiences could be yours if you join a service that assigns a stranger to surreptitiously observe you all day long. <laughs> Follower is the ultimate social network for people who aren't satisfied with random attention on Twitter and want anonymous relationships to extend into the physical realm too. If your application is accepted, You'll download an iPhone app and send a headshot to a follower. This murky individual will then use your phone's GPS to track you around New York while you attend to your day. Answering phones at work, shopping for takeout sushi, picking up your dog's poop or whatever. At some point, the follower will notify you the hunt's off, sending you a voyeuristic photo of yourself and dissolving into the night. magazine and I find out about people why do I know about their lives somebody should be knowing about mine I I want to share things with people but I, I don't want to have to talk to people and tell them what I'm doing I think it'd be great for them to see what I'm doing it takes time to build relationships it takes time to touch base with people so I don't want another relationship I just want to have a relationship with somebody that I never have to talk to, that can just follow me and see me having a relationship with myself. <laughs> if I knew somebody was following me, watching my life, it might add some more fun to my life. I like to play. Doing something for having fun for myself would at the same time create a new experience for somebody else. The narcissism is strong with this one. And I think that the things I do are with consideration of other people. Who knows what somebody wants to see, but if I bring out the best self of myself, maybe, maybe that will spark something in them. My goodness. All right, so perhaps the FBI will be interested in the app. <laughs> but really... As a Christian, do you treat God as your follower, someone you have a relationship with but never want to talk to? Jesus had a perspective on this. He said, follow me. Well, mm. 
I hope you enjoyed some of the camp humor today, and by that, I mean I wove nine Steve Camp song titles into the Not Public Radio dialogue today. The first person to post... (laughs) (laughs) The first person to send that list of nine titles and post them to the Apologetic Radio Facebook page will win a So What shirt. So, that's Steady Randy, and I'm out. That's a good little challenge. Wow. Very good. Randy, 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 you are are a master, sir. Why, thank you. Yes. That was wonderful. (laughs) Just be glad you're not my wife. (laughs) (laughs) You tried all on her first? No, but sometimes I get these ideas and they, you know, until you kind of think about them for a while, it takes a while to mature. So she sees me muttering around the house and... (laughs) You know, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, you know, it's best I don't tell you right I'm now. I'm working, honey. I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> Just taking Dominion. <laughs> well, so nine. That's hilarious. Nine Steve Camp titles. Yes, that's true. And so you post them to the Facebook page and you win a Mission Aware So What shirt. That's correct. From our sponsors at Mission Aware. The first person to do it, by the way. <laughs> the yes. first person, yes. First person. Right on, guys. All right, that was our Not Public Radio segment with Steady Randy. What'd you think? I liked it. It was awesome. I liked it. was it. amazing. All right, guys, just one more quick break here before we go into the rest of the segment, guys. We're going to be talking about a Lawrence Krauss interview, a local interview with Lawrence Krauss. He's the um, physics physicist. <laughs> Profe- he's the professor at ASU. He's an atheist. He's <laughs> friends with Dawkins. And uh, he said some stuff, and we're going to talk about that stuff that he said when we come back. I'm Nathan Bell. And I'm Greg Dutcher. Greg and I have the privilege of co-hosting These Go to 11 podcasts. We cover everything from amillennialism to Zeus worship. See what I did there, bro? A to Z? Yeah, but we do talk a lot about everything. Theology, movies, books, politics, and we have great guests on too. Tim Challey, Stephen Altrogi, Dr. John Frame, authors that make us think. And we're not afraid of controversy either. Calvinism and Arminianism, charismatic gifts. If it's a lightning rod, then we're going to set it high on the roof in a thunderstorm. So join us each week. At least one new episode is released every Tuesday night after 10, because every episode goes to what, Greg? Oh, we'll just let Nigel say it. These go to 11. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. Apologiaradio.com. I think Marcus got <clears throat> tired 
of this song. That's all right. When we were in Tennessee. Tennessee. He didn't even know what we were talking about. Nah. <laughs> Every time Luke and I would say, we're going to Tennessee or we need to go to Tennessee, we would be like, Tennessee. 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 How, how old are you, Marcus? 31. 31? So, do you remember this song? No. You don't remember this song? No clue. And no you idea. grew up in Virginia? Yeah. And you don't, you don't remember this song? We don't sing about Tennessee and Virginia. No, like D.C., like the whole cult, hip-hop culture in D.C. Like, I was I grew up in D.C. Yeah, and, I, that's, I just don't know this song. Yeah, but when we, we did that in like about an hour where we were jamming on like the old school 90s, 90s rap stuff. Yeah. And like he knew all those songs. He did. And you What's caught that joke. What's up? All right, don't, guys. Don't ever. No. Now you can, Now Jeff's going to play jo- I'm going to make sure I Thanks, find that. Jerry. We're going to play Thanks. it. Yeah. We'll you're play well, it. You're welcome. All right. Uh, Jerry, bring us into a quick subject that will bring us into the rest of the stuff we're doing. Yeah. So a uh, very interesting article that uh, I came across from a local uh, news establishment here in the Phoenix Valley here in Arizona, the Phoenix New Times. And the title of this article is Sugar Daddy's Pay Tuition for Hundreds of, a- for hundreds of ASU Students. So there is so the summary of the article, it has to do, there's a, there's a website called Seeking Arrangements that is basically, it's a, it's a sugar daddy slash sugar baby relationship matching website. And the whole story behind this is that with ASU and with obviously with uh, education and tuition costs are skyrocketing uh, through the roof. There is now we're now positioned economically where students are going to school for four years and end up being you know thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, and they're not really able to flip that degree into really a way that they're stuck paying this debt off for the rest of their life. And so students are looking into alternatives. In this situation, uh, there the there's girls at ASU, they are volunteering to be sugar babies for older men to match with them. So because in these type of relationships, there would be older men, for those who, aren't, who, those of you who aren't affiliated with the terminology, to you know basically you know meet together. The older men are usually rich, well off, and so they'll pay them for, uh, you know, just they want to pamper them and do the sugar daddy stuff. And obviously, it's pretty, it's pretty give and take what comes along with that. So you really just have girls who are being exploited, one, for their education, but then they're in a position to where they're exploiting themselves and really not really aware of what they're getting themselves into. And a lot of, there's a lot, in the article talked about a lot of situations where there's potential um, abuse, um, just a a whole whole plethora of things that come out of these situations where these girls are, have, are, Using this, it's basically trying to go to school tuition free by basically dating an older man or being a sugar baby for a sugar daddy. Mm-hmm. And so, when I was when I was reading this article, I was just thinking, uh, Vocab Malone, our good buddy over at Backpack Radio, he spoke at Apologia, and when you guys were out of town, and he was talking about being an urban missionary and understanding what's going on in your culture and understanding it. And to figure out how do you get the gospel in this situation? How does the gospel speak? So, in a situation in with ASU, and actually in the whole, with the whole sugar baby, sugar daddy relationship aspect, um, in all the places in the nation, Arizona is number two, and ASU is the hub and nerve center of it all. So, in this situation, where how does the gospel speak into this? Because it's in all aspects of life. So, if you're yeah. respective of a pastor, like. 
where how how do we address how well, we address something like this? That's one of the reasons that Luke and I decided that we would plant when we officially planted Apologia Church. Um, we would plant here mm-hmm. in in the heart of, of of Tempe in the East Valley area. We wanted to be where everyone could get access to us. Right. We were uh, downtown and near near downtown Phoenix um, at the rehab at the hospital, meeting in their family building uh, for how long? Maybe the first six to eight months. Six months, yeah. Six months. Uh, we were there, and then we decided we needed to move. We needed to be accessible by all points of the valley. Uh, but we we decided we would want to be in Tempe near the Tempe area because we wanted to be near the heart of 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 Tempe and mm-hmm. ASU because we recognize that ASU is pumping out and producing uh, so many atheists and people with an atheistic uh, right. framework and, and view of life. And so I think it doesn't surprise me that ASU would be one of the biggest party schools in the nation and biggest also with uh, STDs. That's a big problem in, in ASU. It doesn't surprise me that you'd have also this problem compounding upon that because the worldview propagated uh, at ASU is an antithetical worldview than the biblical worldview. So when women don't see themselves as ultimately valuable as ultimately having real dignity, but they don't have any ultimate standard and objective uh, view of ethics being taught to them. If, if their worldview is essentially atheistic, then these are the kind of atheistic things that come out of that. And so it starts ultimately at the bottom. This is a view of origins. It's a view of ethics. It's a view of, of um, goodness gracious, it, women um, and life. And you've got also the problem now, the education system and the cost of education in our nation that just crushes people. Um, and uh, that's that's so I think it's a whole yeah. package kind of thing. And that's why we're here in, AS, in, in near ASU. Our studio is right near ASU. I mean, we're, we, I could throw a rock at a, I could throw a rock at a dorm. There are dorms everywhere. So no one knows exactly where you'd have to go on a hunt. Um, but uh, that's why we're here. Ultimately, Jerry, is because we want to make sure that we can impact this culture, right. the people that are here. And we're going to get more aggressive, by the way. In that, uh, hopefully, sometime soon, uh, size is going to come down, and we're going to do some on the street evangelism at Fantastic. ASU, and you guys will see that. Yeah, and also, you know, the gospel I think is very much speaks into the fact of the the marketplace that even exist. Why the the demand for this marketplace too, when it comes to really, I mean, older men, you know, pursuing you know younger women who basically could be the age of their granddaughters mm. uh, in this manner. Yeah, and I mean, so. Because ultimately, if you have a worldview where the whole purpose of your life is just to, cons- you're here now, consume and enjoy, just live for tomorrow, eat, eat drink, and be merry, and YOLO, and, get, sh- and, get, and get sugar, and get a bunch of, you know, sugar babies for tomorrow we die. Yeah. I mean, by what standard do you condemn that if people are repulsed by that? So, yep. I mean, only in the gospel, in effect, you see those you see those girls as you as people who are image bearers of God and be and are deserve to be treated with dignity and worth and not in a sense really it's legalized sex trafficking is trafficking is what it is yeah and um it's, it's at the core it's a heart issue yeah and it's exploitation the only thing that's ever going to end prostitution is changed hearts renewed hearts yep. in, in the gospel and so yeah but again it doesn't surprise me I mean the the abortion clinic that we go to the abortion mill that we go to um, throughout the week is uh, right next to the dorms and it is flooded uh, with girls from ASU um, on a regular basis and that's what the unbelieving worldview um, creates is it creates an entire uh, wheel that operates that feeds a business like 
mm-hmm. like Planned Parenthood. Exactly. Uh, you've got girls. They're for sure. They're for sure connected. Yeah. I'll, I'll, there's no question. It's, no, it's not. An oh, ac- no doubt. It's not an accident that Planned Parenthood sets up their location in Tempe right next to. Uh, where everybody lives there. It's not yeah. an accident that that happens. And our busiest times of year where we have the most women to minister to and to bring the gospel to is right after like a break. So like if it's after mm. spring break, uh, summer break, that's where it's just flooded with women. And you, mm. you can all know the answer as to why. That's when all these parties are happening. People have all the free time and then they get pregnant and then they go and destroy their baby after this takes place. I mean, it's a whole package. I mean, um, it, that that's why we're here is to infiltrate their culture with the gospel and and to call people to repentance and faith. And um, man, we got a lot of work to do, but Jesus is the King and He will Amen. be victorious. Um, spe- so, why actually I was going to transition you into it. So we are on this. Obviously, we're talking about ASU yep. and atheism. Yep. I. Uh, you have so do you, are there any uh, well-known atheists I, at ASU I, yes, you, yes, you, yes. you'd like to talk about? Lawrence Krauss is a professor at ASU. He's a local guy, and he's one of the guys responsible for propagating this unbelieving worldview. Um, and uh, he did an interview uh, with, uh, I think, Channel 3. And let me get to the interview right now. I'll go ahead and play some of that for you right now. Channel 3, sit down with Lawrence Krauss. It was Channel 3. Um uh, azfamily.com and uh, sit down with Lawrence Krauss if you guys want to watch the whole thing. Heather Moore sits down with renowned ASU professor Dr. Lawrence Krauss to discuss atheism and its impact in the state, education, government, and more. Here is Lawrence Krauss. Why is there some fear of atheism out there? What, what are people afraid of, you think? I People are afraid of anything that threatens their faith in some sense because uh, it, it, it's kind of amazing that religion has captured the the market on morality and the idea that somehow if you question the existence of God you're a bad person that the only way to be moral is to is to believe in, a, in God and and that's actually a non sequitur there's no re- the, one has nothing to do with the other in fact actually the Bible if you want to look at it is an incredibly immoral book in fact all the world's major major scriptures the sacred books involve incredible violence misogyny Everything you can think about, you wouldn't want to use them as a, as as a more guide to morality. But never. Well, let's talk about that. So this is. Um, <laughs> Didn't take long. Let's talk about Professor Lawrence Krauss here. Um, when he says uh, people say you know being an atheist makes you an immoral person, I would say well um, from a biblical perspective, yes, it's sin. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Romans chapter one says that we all do know God. We suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. So that confession, um, I reject God's existence existence is ultimately moral uh, because you're created in the image of God and to deny your creator is to fall into foolishness, which mm-hmm. isn't simply um, an indication of what's going on in your mind. It's a moral indictment. When God says you're a fool for denying his existence, it's not simply, again, saying that you're a, a dummy. Mm. It's, it's a moral indictment. To, to be a fool in scripture is, is, is a moral uh, criticism, um, but at the same time, uh, my charge to Lawrence Krauss is it, it would not be well. You're an atheist, and that makes you an immoral person. I would say, as an atheist, you don't have any meaningful justification for morality at all. Right. That's the very first thing I would say right. as an atheist. Because listen, here's a man who now is criticizing the Bible, saying it's filled with all kinds of violence and atrocities. It's an immoral book. I mean, nobody should use that as a moral guide. This is an amazing statement coming from a man that says that we are all stardust yeah. and that stars died so that we could be born and the universe came from 
nothing. Why does he, he care about morality? He, uh, that's he just started. the point. Exactly. Well, well, let's 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 play some of Lawrence Krauss because you see, here's the thing with atheists: atheists will image God all over their lives in 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 some aspects, but then in other points where they're being honest about their atheism, there's a complete collision with the, what they're saying and doing in the world. And so I'll give you an example of that. Um, go ahead, Jerry. While I was going to say, it. and that's the point where he asked them for their license and registration, please. Yes, license and registration. All right, here is Lawrence Krauss. We've played this before, but you need to hear it as we dissect his comments on Channel 3. This is Lawrence Krauss. Our godless universe is precious. The picture that science presents to us is, is in some sense, uh, uncomfortable. Because what we've learned is that we are more insignificant than we ever could have imagined. You could get rid of us and all the galaxies and everything we see in the universe, and it'll be largely the same. So we're insignificant on a scale that Copernicus never would have imagined. And in addition, it turns out the future is miserable. So the two lessons that I like to say I like to give is first, we're insignificant, and second, the future is miserable. Now, that sh- you might think that should depress you, but I would argue that in fact, it should embolden you and, and provide you a, a different kind of consolation. Because if the universe doesn't care about us, and if we're an accident in a remote corner of the universe, in some sense it makes us more precious. <laughs> yeah. Look, let, let that hang in, in the air for just a minute, because that's where it belongs, suspended in midair <laughs> on nothing. Here's a man who says that um, we're insignificant and the future is miserable, and then we are accidents in a corner of the universe in another area of his life, talking about things like violence and evil as though they shouldn't be. And the universe is cold and uncaring, and uh-huh. therefore that makes us precious. Mm-hmm. And the universe doesn't care about us. And here's a man now complaining about what's in the Bible. Well, again, I would say, where does your standard of preciousness or significance come from? I don't think that would even fly in a secular self-help book. I mean, I, I I couldn't see like Tony Robbins being like, "All right, everyone, universe is cold and uncaring, and that makes you a winner." And you're like, "What?" Um, that that would be a precious moment. That would be a precious moment. <laughs> the be- meaning in our lives is is provided by us. We provide our own meaning, and we. There you go. We provide our own meaning as accidents in the universe. Now I want you to think about: uh, Is that logical? Does that make sense? Does that provide a foundation for meaning and purpose? We provide our own meaning in a universe that doesn't care when the future is miserable and we are accidents in the universe. We provide our own meaning. That means that that meaning you provide, the answer that you give, those thoughts that you have are arbitrary and meaningless in themselves. Because there's no standard. Right. There's no meaningful standard. You've got one person saying, well, meaning is found in this way. And another person saying, meaning is found in this way. And there's no ultimate meaning or purpose. And so it's all just preference. Like, mm-hmm. I like vanilla ice cream. I hate ice cream. Mm-hmm. I like mochi ice cream. I like chocolate ice cream. It's, it's just preference. Except by ice cream, you mean rape, molestation, or murder, or whatever evil thing you uh, well, want to well, preference. Let's, let's do, well, just, let's do it. Just back, just talking about that earlier article we were talking about with the show. What if those, I mean, those older, dirty men, are they're finding their meaning in exploiting young women? And thank you very much. Is, is, it, is that a meaningful thing? 
Do you disagree with that? Well, Richard Dawkins, uh, who holds to the essential and same uh, worldview as Lawrence Krauss, they're, they're buddies. Um, uh, we actually went and saw them. Uh, Vocab and I did. Went and saw Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss speaking at Gamage. Uh, this is Dawkins, um, who believes that we live in a universe that does not care. Uh, there is only blind and pitiless indifference. There is no good and there is no evil. Um, this is Richard Dawkins being asked a question by Justin Briley from Unbelievable Radio. Um, about rape and I want you to think hard about uh, the consistency here uh, with what Dawkins says uh, here and what he just said a moment ago with what he said on Channel 3. When you make a value judgment, don't you immediately step yourself outside of this evolutionary process and say there, there is the reason this is good is because it's good, and you don't well, have any um, way to stand on that but, statement. But my value judgment itself could come from my evolutionary past, and I suppose. So therefore, it's it's just as random in a sense as any product of evolution. Well, you could you could say that, uh, but it, <laughs> it doesn't in any case. Nothing about it uh, makes it more probable that there is anything supernatural. Okay, but but ultimately, your belief that rape is wrong is as arbitrary as the fact that we've evolved five fingers rather than six. I, I mean, uh, you that, could that, say that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You could say that. You could. Yep. And so, so when Lawrence Krauss is on Channel 3 talking about violence in the Bible and it can't be used as a moral guide, it's important for us to remember that these men, these types of men, believe that we are African apes in a universe that yep. doesn't care, that we came from fish, that we were fish, that we became philosophers, we were goo, and now you are you. And that's their essential beliefs about origins. That's what they believe about humanity. That's what they believe about us. And when you press these men... When you press them to be consistent with mm. what they say, you say, well, then your view about rapists is not really wrong. It's just as arbitrary as mm. like we had five fingers rather than six. So, yeah, you can you can say that. And yeah. so what's where's where's what, what's with all the moral indignity? What, 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 where's it coming from? Right. Violence in the Bible. Violence doesn't matter. What one African ape does to another in this godless universe doesn't matter. Mr. Krause? I think his argument has the appearance of design. Yes? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> his accusations of evil didn't sound very arbitrary yeah, when he made them. That's the thing, is that these men, when they're talking about morality in a fight with a Christian, they act with the moral indignance mm -hmm. of a Puritan. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how they behave. And then when you get them in their private moments where they're describing their view of the universe and humanity, you begin to see that all of it is, is bluff, uh, bluff and bluster. It's yeah. just meaningless. It's just gas. It doesn't mean anything at all. And uh, let, me, uh, let me find another one here. There's another important one I want you guys uh, to hear from Krauss about um, our origins, our existence. And uh, let me pull that up here real fast. Well, while you're looking for that, I... Um there's been a certain atheist we know that's popped his head back up that I don't have time to refute for the hundredth time, but he, he's been all upset about our stuff with Mark Pody. He's upset that we're upset. Mm. And so I haven't said anything, but what I'm thinking is why are you upset? Why are you, why are you complaining? Yeah. Why are you mad? Uh, speak real fast. Speaking of Mark Pody, I just saw it here. Here is Mark Pody being interviewed um, on a little news channel on YouTube. I, I want you to hear this because it's just so exciting. 
Mark Pody, God's man in Tennessee. Hey, Mark, what makes you stand up? I know the heat's high. I know they're after. What's making you stand up, Mark? I, I believe I'm following the leadership of Jesus Christ, and I know I've got to stand strong. Uh, this issue, this is so critical for our state and our nation right now for men of God to stand up and take their place. Mark, we appreciate all you're doing, the great leadership. You're going to go down in the hallmark of history. We've got to make a stand when we need him. It's only because everybody's praying together that we're all working together to get this done. Thank Amen. you for all the whole support that your whole group's doing. Amen, Mark. Okay, this is uh, Lawrence Krauss on incest. I want you guys to hear this. Why is incest wrong? It's, uh, it's not clear to me that it's wrong. Okay. It's clear to me. It, there's, a, there's an episode. No, 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 listen, listen to me. L- l- listen to me. Wait, wait, let's, let's give him, let's okay. give him the respect, please. He's got a justification. You ask me a question, and if you want me to answer, I will. Yes, yeah, of course. Okay. Do it. Okay. Okay. The point is, most societies have, to, have a taboo on incest, and, and it's an empirical one. Generally, incest produces genetic defects. Yes. Okay? Uh, and so, the, so in, in, in general, there's a physiological reason and a, and a societal one why incest is wrong. Yes. Okay? But if you ask me the question, is it, and this is an interesting question. We are in, by the way, it's an ingrained, there's an in, ingrained incest taboo in almost all societies oh. for that reason. Oh, sure. Because societies well. want to persist, so it, it works. <laughs> but if you ask me a priori, for example, the question, if a brother and a sister loved each other and used contraception, is, is there something absolutely morally wrong about that? I'm, I, and that, by the way, and it was once, and they went off and it didn't affect anything else, I'd have to think about it because I don't think there's any absolute condemnation of that fact. If they love each other and care for each other and they go off and it doesn't affect anything else, okay. I, I, would I recommend it? No. Would I be particularly happy about it? But would I, would I be willing to listen to those arguments if they were rational? Maybe. All right. So when you don't have a word from God, you don't have an ultimate standard. All you can say is, oh, maybe. I don't know. Let's, let's ponder it. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay, so some more. Go ahead, Randy. Well, yeah, well, once is kind of an arbitrary number, thinking about it. Yeah. You know, if it happens once, you know, yeah. uh, and that's it, well, you know, there's a standard there, right? I wonder if Lawrence Krauss has children, if he would hold them to that standard. Well, even he talks about the, the disgust for incest is ingrained. Where is that information at? Mm-hmm. Yep, appearance of design. Mm-hmm. Listen, our society, it's kind of amazing that many people who claim they're religious or even claim they're Christian uh, do so because they feel that if they did otherwise they would be considered bad people. The Richard Dawkins Foundation in in England did a study. In England they asked your religion and they just did a major census uh, with ask your religion and at the time 53% of people said they were Christian which was the lowest number ever. But then the Dawkins Foundation went to those people and said, okay, say you're Christian, do you believe in the transubstantiation? Do you believe in the virgin birth? And they didn't believe in any of those things. And the question was, why do you call yourself Christian? And the answer was, I like to think of myself as a good person. And I think... Wow. Well, I don't believe in transubstantiation, and I don't believe I'm a good person. <laughs> I believe I'm a sinner in need of God's grace, and that we are all rotten wretches, and uh, the only hope we have is in Christ and in his righteousness and the gift of life that he gives. Uh, I do, I do want to say, um, I, I think it's awful 
uh, that so many people that are polled in these things um, right. are so squishy and right. wishy-washy. Uh, I really wish we would get people that are interviewed that understand the Bible and God's word. It's just crazy. It's, it's like the Donald Trump situation. Uh, he is winning with the evangelicals all over the place, and so many evangelicals yeah. are voting for him according to the polls. And it's crazy because I don't know anybody that that I don't know anybody. I know I one seen, person. I, well, I mean, obviously. Okay, so take it back. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Steve Camp is a professing believer, and he uh, supports Donald Trump. But on uh, okay, that that just really hurt my heart. And just re- thinking about that. Okay, so so I, I don't know uh, more more than one person uh, that is that is voting for Donald Trump. But obviously, they're out there. There are very squishy people professing faith in Jesus that are doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We have a long way to go. <laughs> And Reformation begins in the church and, and the pulpit. Uh, transformation has to first start there. Um, but, but yeah, it is disheartening to, to, to see those kinds of studies where you have people professing faith in Jesus and it's more of a cultural thing. And by the yeah. way, that's why the West is dying mm. because it is, it is being run by a cultural Christianity mm. that is not meaningful and does not stand really on God's word. We learned today that the Mormons aren't even voting for Donald Trump. Really? Did you learn that? Romney. Oh, Romney. Oh, Romney's not. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I want to hear what he said. Actually, I want to hear what he actually bit, said. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Some more from Cross. I think there is, as a result, faith, that, the, the, the idea that giving up faith in, in something for which there's no evidence makes you a bad person. And the Pew Foundation just did a study. They've done it a few years. Did you ago. catch that? Did you like the little throw in? Yeah. Uh, giving up faith in something for which there's no evidence makes you a bad person. <laughs> did you see it? Do you see the 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 that presuppositional commitment and the sleight of hand? The everybody has a worldview. There is no neutrality. Even when he talks about this subject, he has to throw in the little jabs. Mm-hmm. You know, giving up faith in something that would, has no evidence, anyways, that makes you a bad person. Mm. Wait a minute. Let's have a talk. Let's have a conversation, Professor right. Krauss, because that is absolutely absurd. That's not what Christians believe. That we have faith in something that has absolutely no evidence. That's not my faith. You're not talking about my faith at all. So we would like to invite you. I actually did invite Lawrence Krauss on Apologia yeah. Radio sometime back on his radio uh, or on his, uh, his fan page. We had a conversation. I invited him. It was supposed to happen. I tried to hit him up again. Never got word back from him. So this, we'd love to have Lawrence Krauss yes. on this show. We could talk about this very issue, this issue of morality, this issue of ethics, is talking about good people, bad people. I'd like to know from Professor Krauss how he can justify in any meaningful, intelligible way morality. From his atheistic perspective, if we are all stardust in a universe that doesn't care, the future is miserable and we are accidents in this corner of the universe, I want to know, on what basis do you complain about anything at all? So this is my invitation to you, Professor Krauss. We're going to make sure you get a copy of this. We would love to have you on Apologia Radio. Our studio is but five minutes from ASU. You can come on your, we'll even buy you lunch. We'll buy you your favorite lunch. And you're really zeroing people in today where we're at. That's upsetting, Luke. Okay. Oh, and they just redid it, which is really sad. If people people were asked, what are the characteristics of a person running for president that would make you most likely to vote for them or less likely? And the most negative is atheism. More negative than no experience, financial impropriety, adultery, or in this case, even being a Muslim, which surprised me. In the is adultery wrong, Mr. Professor Krauss? Why would you throw that in the mix? 
Why is that thrown in the mix? As though adultery is 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 some sort of a moral failure. <laughs> he says, like you know, this and that and that and, and adultery. I mean, you could be an you could be an adulterer and you're not hated as much as atheists in the political process. Can you believe that? What's wrong with adultery, Professor Krauss? Why would you use that as an example? Is there something wrong? Right. Is I mean, you just said you weren't so sure incest is wrong. How about adultery? Is is that absolutely morally wrong to commit adultery? From my perspective as a, as a Christian with God's word and using God as the reference point, I have an I have an ultimate objective standard to call adultery an a moral evil. But do you? Professor Krauss? Current climate. So so somehow atheism is devo- is associated with evil. And for many people unfortunately, science is also associated with evil because some people say, well, you know, believe, evolution, which is a fact, is going to... Un- <laughs> there it goes again. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> there it goes again, yeah. Professor Krauss. <laughs> uh, if you mean uh, microevolution, change within species, sure. And that's very consistent with the design model. And that's something that Christians were saying long before atheists were. Right. But if you're talking about um, uh, fish to philosophers, no, sir. That's absolutely fish not true. <laughs> undermine your faith and therefore science must be bad I'd rather not accept the results of science than undermine my faith where in fact I talk to people of faith and I say look if if your faith requires you to believe the earth is 6,000 years old there's something wrong with your faith get over it because the world universe is the way it is whether we like it or not <laughs> the universe Ooh. is the way that it is whether we like it or not now i wish that he would be as honest with himself as he is there in terms of god god is who he is whether you like it or not we need Professor to make Krauss. the universe great again make the universe great again. <laughs> but there's so many people when you say that the bible is not a moral book or this is your faith get over it outrage well you know the it is, they are outraged and i understand that outrage but what is the reason they're outraged is because we in our society have made religion very special. I can, I can make claims about politics or sex or anything else, make, make jokes about it, poke fun at it, be skeptical about it, and we're fine. But somehow we said you can't question religion. Just the mere act of questioning is there existence for God, not even claiming it, but just the act of questioning becomes militant atheism. And I think what we need to do is have more people do what I just did, namely say something outrageous, because the more common that becomes, the less people will fear the idea of thinking for themselves. (laughs) Oh, wow. The more outrageous we are. Wow. Okay. Well, it's, it's, it's an important discussion to have, and I want to point something out here that I hope everybody catches. Do you notice something? Uh, Professor Krauss here recognizes that it's important um, to have his worldview involved in the political process. Mm. You see, it's not a question mm. of whether we're going to have a God over our system, but which God? Right. Whether there's going to be a morality imposed upon society, but which, which morality? morality? It's never a question about whether there's going to be a worldview that's dominant but it's which worldview. And notice that Lawrence Krauss recognizes the importance for his worldview to be represented in the political process, and he's a little bugged by it. He's a little bugged by the fact that atheists are seen in such a poor light in society. He knows that it's important for his type of people to be in the political process, and I want to say I would to God that Christians started feeling exactly the same way. Mm. 
Amen. Yeah, that's a great point. Think about it. Um, one more little clip here I just got to play to show you just some inconsistencies here. This is Lawrence Krauss, The Flavors of Nothing on Big Think on YouTube. When you think about nothing, you have to be a little more careful than you normally are because, in fact, nothing is a physical concept because it's the absence of something, and something is a physical concept. And what we've... <laughs> that is one of the most illogical things that we, we are eight literally eight seconds into that <laughs> I, I, I wish that he would stop and think about what he just said yeah no yeah. the concepts are not the same you said that's from the big think the big think oh uh, yeah a little a little big, thing not yeah it's a little oh. thing that's a little thing uh, you see, see no thing nothing no thing is a category of its own of no thing no thing so nothing nothing no no thing and something is a whole category of itself over here it's something different and so no they're not the same thing and you can't think about them in the same way because there's not the same concepts within the two learn and told on and he called it a physical concept right that's right that's a bold-faced lie no thing <laughs> what is not being understood even, here even the idea of somethingness <laughs> right is not a physical concept I mean, some something has baggage to it, and so does no thing, and we have to be consistent within that realm. This so is an extra, extra special religion. <laughs> extra special. Here's is that nothing is much more complicated than we would have imagined otherwise. <laughs> For example, the simplest kind of nothing is the kind of nothing of the Bible. <laughs> No, 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 nothing, nothing is a concept. No. Nothing is a concept that is much more complex than we ever could have imagined, ultimately. Really? No, no. Th okay. Say the, an infinite empty space, an infinite dark void of the Bible. You know, nothing in it, no particles, no radiation, nothing. Well, that kind of nothing turns out to be full of stuff in a way, or at least much more complicated than you might have imagined, because due to the laws of quantum mechanics and relativity, we now know that... But wait, 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 wait. How did he associate that with the Bibles? void at the beginning that's not the same thing as he's saying yeah. is, he, just, is he saying that the words and meaning is nothing that we attribute something to he's saying it's he's saying it's analogous to like the bible in the beginning there was a void but you see oh, the, oh. the biblical worldview doesn't just say that there was only void there was god and there was his being and there was his existence and everything that came with that. And so it wasn't simply that there was no thing. There was always God. Right. And so there is no, there's no, there's no analogy there. But here we go. The empty space is a boiling, bubbling brew of virtual particles that are popping in and out of existence at every moment. And in fact, for that kind of nothing, if you wait long enough, you're guaranteed by the laws of quantum mechanics to produce something. So, so the nothing that he describes has laws of quantum mechanics working within it. So mm -hmm. I'm going to make a jump here. So is, does that mean that there really isn't nothing, but there is something in the nothing? Yeah, that's his point. When he says a universe from nothing, he's saying that nothing isn't really nothing. Yeah. There's something. He's really trying to explain the Big and, Bang and Theory. And he works right really hard at this. Yeah. He tries very, very hard. But, when he, but watch, when he says there's nothing, but within that nothingness, there, there are laws... Then that means, ready, there's a thing called a law operating within that, which means it's not no thing. There's something. <laughs> like, is, I would ask the question, okay, so are there laws in this nothing? He says, yes, well, laws like quantum, laws of quantum mechanics. Okay, is a law a thing? 
I, I would think that you would say yes, or otherwise you're going to fall apart. Well, he yeah. called it a physical thing, didn't he, in the beginning yeah, of the clip? He physical does, concept. but hold on. He physical. goes on, and he does respond to what I just said, so let's continue to listen. So the difference between empty space with stuff in it and empty space with nothing in it is not that great anymore. In fact, they're different versions of the same thing. <laughs> so the transition from nothing... Did, did everybody catch that? <laughs> this nope, is not at all. Cause... This is atheism on steroids. <laughs> doing its darndest to make sense out of reality and our existence and our origins. It is, it is amazing to have a man as brilliant as him with a mind as sharp as him to be saying these sorts of things, trying to put together something and nothing and saying that we can blend these categories together. He's doing his best, guys. He's doing his best. Because something is not so surprising. Now, you might say, well, that's not good enough because you have space. Where did the space come from? Well, this is a more demanding definition of nothing is no space. But in fact, once you apply the laws of quantum mechanics to gravity itself, then space itself becomes a quantum mechanical variable and fluctuates in and out of existence. And you can literally, by the laws of quantum mechanics, create universes, create spaces and times where there was no space and time before. So now you've got no particles, no radiation, no space, no time. That sounds like nothing. But then you might say, well, you know what? You've got the laws of physics. Mm Mm-hmm. You've got the laws of nature. The laws themselves are somehow something, although I would argue, in fact, that that is not at all obvious or clear or necessary. But even there... He's a physicist. Do you understand that? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, friends, people who are fans of our show, even my atheist friends who listen to every episode we put out, apparently, um, here is a physicist, a man who teaches people science at ASU saying these things sudden 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 the man teaches science and he says these sorts of things now why would there be such a collapse well because he has an overriding commitment to his view of origins and humanity it turns out physics potentially has an answer because we now have good reason to believe that even the laws of physics themselves are kind of arbitrary. There may be an infinite number of universes. And- Did you catch that? Uh. You see, when I have said in the past that atheists have no basis in appealing to induction, that their future will be like the past, a lot of atheists get upset when I say that. Right. They say, no, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because, because the past was. And so I say, oh, that's circular. You can't appeal to past experience to justify a, a, an appeal to induction in the future. We need a justification, a meaningful justification to say, how can we appeal to the uniformity in nature and induction in the future? And atheists get real upset with me when I say that you have no basis. All you have is matter in motion. You don't have any laws. You don't have any real justification for induction. And I'll even quote... Um, Krauss at times where he says these physical constants and laws um, aren't so uh, aren't so so real and firm and he just said here that they're arbitrary he did let me ask you a question do you teach your classes Professor Krauss in that way do you go up to the blackboard or the whiteboard or do you put up on your PowerPoint um, all of these, these different laws of the universe and we work out our, our arithmetic and all these problems and then do you say afterwards but guys none of this is really Something I need you to hold to because it's all arbitrary anyways. Right. And do we send, let me ask you this question. Do we send planes up into the sky on a daily basis saying the physical constants are all arbitrary? Oh boy, I hope not. And I think maybe our pilot on the way home from Tennessee 
Maybe he was holding to that principle because I was scared out of my mind on that flight. Uh, maybe he thought the physical constants were all arbitrary. Do we send, do we send um, shuttles into space saying the physical constants are all arbitrary and accidents? Do we send missions to Mars saying the physical constants are, are all arbitrary and not firm? This man is a living and breathing contradiction. Every moment of his life, he complains about morality, and yet he believes that we're all stardust in a godless universe that doesn't care. Every, every day of his life, he instructs people and teaches people about constants and laws, and then he turns right around and he takes it back from you and says, but they're all arbitrary, and they're not really laws. They're not really things. Brothers and sisters, atheism is in its death throes. You need to celebrate that. Atheism is in its death throes. It is bluff. It is bluster. It is meaningless talk. All it is is people who are haters of God Mm. puffing their chest up against their creator. Now, they may have brilliant, brilliant accents (laughs) and sound just wonderful. And they're so fun to listen to, Dawkins. And they might just be wonderful people like Christopher Hitchens that I, I'm telling you, I'd li- if he was still alive today, I would love to hang out with the man. I was in love with Christopher Hitchens. They may be guys like Krauss that are so sharp and intellectual and he can, he can teach. But, but listen, all it is is meaningless dribble. That's all it is. Atheism is in its death throes. It cannot justify morality. It cannot justify science. It cannot justify logic. It is meaningless, and I believe with all my heart, atheism is dying. Because it might have a little moment in the, in the sun, but as soon as you begin to look at it and unpack it, you begin to see it collapses. It can't get, it can't get past its first word without contradicting itself. And the, I think one of the reasons why, too, is because people build spaceships like a Christian. People act and live you know like Christians right, to build space shuttles. That's right. right. Because, I mean, you got the whole, I mean, the whole, it, I was thinking about his whole thing about space travel, that if, if we're to assume that everything, every single thing is variable, then what's to, what's to say, like, at what point of space travel, how do we know that halfway to, well, obviously there's been... Um, They've already had like rovers and stuff on Mars, but how do we know that, you know, how far beyond have we gone to where all of a sudden those variables change and how, how do you even accommodate for that? It's, it's assumed, it's like, it's, it's amazing when I was thinking about, um, what was the movie The Martian? Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking yeah. that too. Yeah, I was thinking about his, that guy and the Matt Damon's character in that he assumed the whole movie, he assumed uniformity in nature. That's right. right. He, uh, the whole the whole movie could have been called like induction, yeah, induction. <laughs> it really could have been. I'm gonna science the out of this. Like I can't imagine that guy there on Mars, you know, fig- figuring this whole thing out and figuring out how to grow potatoes with with uh, you know, spoiler alert, yeah, you know, all that stuff. And but imagine him just being like, oh, I don't really know how to get myself out of this mess because everything's freaking arbitrary. Oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? Yeah, and that's the point, is that there is no basis for induction, therefore there's no basis for science and atheism. So listen, that's the point. We don't send uh, missions to Mars on the basis of the atheistic worldview and framework. We send missions to Mars on the basis of the biblical worldview. It was Christianity that gave science its pop, by the way. And guys like Krauss and Dawkins are riding off the back 
of the work that Christians put into the world and the biblical worldview, Mm -hmm. and they turn around and bite the hand that feeds them. Atheism is silly. (laughs) Philosophically speaking, scientifically speaking, it's adolescent. It's very superstitious, and it, it, and it, it, it has within it giant leaps of faith, ginormous leaps of faith. But I, I want to go back to an important point, and we're going to end on this, guys. Here's an important point. Guys like Krauss here recognize, again, what I said a moment ago, that there's going to be a dominant worldview. And brothers and sisters, if we don't start investing in this world with the gospel and the proclamation of the truth, it's not a question of of whether there's going to be a worldview that dominates. It's which one. And if we don't start engaging the culture faithfully and boldly, then what happens is is men like Krauss spew this kind of philosophical nonsense and Mm. garbage, and they win. They win. Why? Is it because the truth is not so true and not so powerful and bold? No. It's that we won't stand up and engage. Not a question of which God, or whether there's going to be a God, but which God, whether there's going to be a morality imposed, but which morality, whether there's going to be a worldview that's dominant, but which worldview. And interestingly, an atheist on our page that we posted just now with uh, Mark Pody on our YouTube channel, (laughs) he got it. He saw it. You know why? He said this. Under the Mark Pody interview, where Mark Pody is saying it's about God, it's about his standards, it's about Christ, he caught it, brothers and sisters, in a way that many Christians don't. This is his response under the video. He says this, What a disgusting person. That's about Mark. America is not a theocracy. Wow. Yep, he caught it. Mark Pody was standing up for biblical values, the word of God, and Jesus Christ in Tennessee state law. And what did he stand for? Was he a was he a, uh, just a raging theonomist? Was he just like a Puritan? All he was saying was, God defines marriage. It's man and woman. That's the situation. And this guy caught it. He said, I don't want God's law. I want man's law. Mm-hmm. And this always comes down to, brothers and sisters, every time it's going to come down to by what standard and it's going to come down to the conflict between theonomy and Theos, namos, God's law, and autonomy. Yep. Self-law. It's going to be a question of whether we're governed by God or man. And when we get that right, we will accomplish so much. And I am so happy that the early Christians, the charge being laid at their feet was this. They say there's another King Jesus. They were humble. They were meek. They were persecuted. But, but, it was understood by the culture, culture around them that they said that Jesus had all authority and they were not they were not willing to say as an ultimate Caesar Curios Caesar is lord but that Jesus is lord powerful powerful stuff guys hey guess what guys Guess what's happening June 1st through 4th? Reform, Reform. Con! Reform, Reform, Reform Con! Yes! Reform Con! He said Reform Con! Reform Con! Apologia Studios is teaming up with... The Reform Pubcast! Reform Pubcast! Reform Pubcast! Reform Pubcast! Pubcast. I'm Lest! And I'm Tanner! It's the Reform Pubcast! Um, we're teaming up you, you with them. You do want to be partners with them I still do, yeah. on this, okay? We're, we're, I wanted, we're teaming up with them, and June 1st through 4th, Dr. James White, me, Dr. Scott Oliphant, speaking of apologetics, John Sampson, Kenneth Talbot, 
Vocab Malone, the staff and leadership of Apologia Church and Apologia Studios, and more are going to be teaching there. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of teaching. The difference between this and a lot of other conferences is we're going to provide a lot of meaningful interaction with the speakers. That's the big point we want to make is that you're going to get to interact with the speakers. You're going to get to reach out and touch and talk. And so that is what's going to happen at ReformCon. You need to go to ReformCon.org, ReformCon.org, get your tickets. We also have a group rate. Yep. You can get a group rate. And family rate. Family rate. Go there. Come hook up with us, guys. Come say hi to us. We're excited to meet all of you, but you got to get your tickets. Um, it is limited space. So if you've been thinking of waiting, don't wait because we're inviting churches all across the Southwest, plus the radio programs for both Reform Pubcast and Apologia Radio. So please get your tickets as soon as you can and uh, come out and meet us. Come say hi. And don't forget also, missionaware.com loves Apologia Church mm-hmm. and our ministry. We love them. Go get some shirts from missionaware.com. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right, so that's been that was King Ginger. Ah, uh, what's up, Steady Randy? Thank you again for uh-huh. awesome, uh-huh. awesome, what's awesome. Up, Not public radio. <laughs> you betcha. That was incredible. Totes, that's the bear. Totes and creds. Peace out. With a hurt foot. Yeah. How's your foot, dude? It hurts. Saw, dude. Saw, dude. Saw, dude. And Nostradamus. Justice will be served. <laughs> I will not forget. Whoa. Batman, you're part of the problem. I'm a safe Gotham, Bernie. <laughs> you're not a distribute Gotham's wealth. <laughs> All right, guys. ApologiaRadio.com is where you get us. We'll catch you guys next time. Hi, this is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm also the pastor at Apologia Church in Tempe. You can get us at ApologiaChurch.com. I want to invite you guys to join us for worship, the word, and fellowship on Sundays at 4 p.m. And that's Joy Tempe. Hey there. We are a family-integrated church, so we invite you to bring your whole family to worship with us. This is Luke Pearson, the ministry bear, also discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. Like Jeff mentioned, we are now meeting at a new location and time, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Arizona Community Church. That's 9325 South Rural Road and Tempe. We're meeting in the community center, and that is between Warner and Ray off of Rural. Again, you can reach us on them internets at ApologiaChurch.com. Delicious beards are encouraged but not required. <laughs> Glory!